We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Chapter 3. As tonight, we got a couple of chapters that are so rich, but at the same time, they can be a little challenging to, to study. And that's why I actually gave you guys a handout. Did you, did you all get your handout? All right. Um, you're like, where's the money? No, not that type of handout, okay? <laughs> and um, you can actually uh, refer to that handout. Matthew, can I borrow yours, bro? I'm sorry. And, and, you know, just looking at this, I'm going to just touch on it from a, a visual standpoint. Uh, the very front page, it says Second Chronicles chapters 3 through 4. And you'll see the temple there, and it has kind of like a, an opening where you can see into the building. And uh, on the top right, you'll see the, the brass altar, the brazen altar. That's where they would offer all the sacrifices. And so going into the courtyard, that would be pretty much the first thing that you would see, the first thing you would smell. It would smell like a barbecue and blood. So it was an interesting combination there. Uh, to the left, you see the, the bronze laver. That's where the priests would wash. And you'll see that it's on these oxen there. And then you'll see the lavers also, five on each side of the temple. And that's where they would, wash, they would actually wash other things. Uh, that bronze laver, the big one, could hold 18,000 gallons of water. And, and so it's, it's really a really big thing. Uh, and then you get into the, the temple itself. Um, the temple was 90 feet by 45 feet. Um, and it was 45 feet high in most of it. And the thing is, you guys, it was all gold. It was all gold. It even had gold floors. Imagine that when you went into the most holy place, all gold-plated. And we're going to see um, that the, the palm trees, the pomegranates, the chain work. It's all symbolic. Um, you'll see the two, uh, um, the, the, the jackin and the boaz. Those are pillars right there when you go into the entrance. So you have kind of on the top, you have a visual there. I don't know if you guys can see it because my eyes are not that good, but at the same time, I don't think this is the best printout. You see the cherubim right there in the most holy place? You guys see those creatures over there? This picture actually is wrong. They're supposed to be facing each other, okay, not facing out. And so um, they're not facing out to receive worship. They're actually supposed to be facing towards the Ark of the Covenant to look into it to actually worship the Lord. And so... I just thought that might be a good visual as we're going through our study tonight. We might be able to refer to it. And then you have a schematic right here on the bottom. It, it kind of gives you uh, more of an idea in written form. And in the back of the paper, you have, uh, uh, again, another visual of it. One of the interesting things I like about this is in the top right part of this paper right here, you'll see the size of the temple and the courtyard and all that is not that much, it's not really that big. It's actually it's smaller than an American football field. And so you can kind of see the dimensions of it. And again, same thing here. You look at it, and today as we go through, maybe that might be helpful for you. 
I don't know about you, but a lot of guys are, are visual, huh? We want to see that. We want to see the maps and stuff like that. They say that girls can't read maps as well. Is that true? <laughs> All right. Let's read Second Chronicles uh, chapter 3. It says, Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David, at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And you know, like, what an awesome man, what an awesome concept that is, that after all these years of preparing, David had got all this, you know, ready. He received the plans directly from God. And as they, you know, they have it, we, la we read last week, they were determined. But imagine how awesome it must have been, boom when they started building the temple, right? Here we see the where and we see the when. It was at Moriah. It says right here, Mount Moriah. It means chosen by Yahweh. It's the mount on the eastern edge of Jerusalem, and that's where Solomon built the temple. It's interesting, the word Moriah or the place Moriah is mentioned only twice in the Bible. Here and over in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verse 2. And there, when you read that scripture, you'll find that that's where God had commanded Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, Isaac, on Moriah, Mount Moriah. And so to me, it's pretty interesting because when you read Genesis, you know that that's a picture, right? You guys know that's a picture of Jesus, where God the Father sacrificed his son to save us where God the Father sacrificed his son to sanctify us and to do a beautiful work in us, right? On Moriah. And, and so, you know, Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac, and he was willing to do it. He did it by faith. He reached up the, the, the knife, and he was just about to sacrifice his son where the Lord said, no, it's okay. You don't have to do it after all. I see your faith is demonstrated. You were tested, and you passed the test. And it's so cool when you read that whole story there because even Isaac was a little puzzled. He said, Father, I see the wood and all these things, but, you know, where's the sacrifice? And you know what Abraham said? The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He provided himself a sacrifice. And so to me, I think it's so amazing when you look at this and they're linked together that Mount Moriah, that place where Abraham was called to offer his son Isaac, picture of Jesus Christ who would one day die for us on that same mountain. And then here we see the temple being built in that same place. And again, you always go back to this, you guys. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It really is. He has finished the work. He loves you. He died for you. Man, let me tell you, it's just so amazing when you realize that it's all about Jesus. And when you remember that, I think it helps so much. And so here's the, the location, Mount Moriah. We see when it, it was uh, commenced, again, there in verse 1. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And if you remember, we studied this. We went over the fact that there God said, I want you to offer a sacrifice. All the people were dying. And there the angel of the Lord was there with his sword drawn, ready to smite the rest of the inhabitants. 
And God told David, no, I need you to offer a sacrifice right here. He bought that land, and now, boom, he's going to build a temple on it. It says in verse 2 that he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. And so that would be in the month of, uh, I don't know if I pronounced this right, E-R, E-R, more of a Hebrew, uh, probably accent would be better. Um, right around uh, April or May, that's when it began. And so we read in verse 3, it says, And then the foundation which Solomon laid for building the house of God, this is the foundation which Solomon laid for building the house of God, and the length was 60 cubits by measure according to the former measure, and the width 20 cubits. And so we find, again, interesting, 90 feet by 30 feet, not real big, that's the foundation. In verse 4, it says, And the vestibule that was in front of the sanctuary was 20 cubits long across, width of the house, and the height was 120. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. The larger room he paneled with cypress, which he overlaid with fine gold. And he carved palm trees and chain work on it. And he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold from Parvain. He also overlaid the house with beams and doorposts, its walls and doors with gold, and he carved cherubim on the wall. And so you look at this, and I don't know, um, it's hard sometimes to figure out what it all means, but I think if you just kind of stop for a moment, there are some things that kind of rise to the surface, and you realize that that's the symbolism of it. And it really sends a message to us. We see, first of all, in verse 4, the, the vestibule or the entry room or the foyer, a lot of times that's called. Uh, again, 30 feet wide, 30 feet tall, um, more than likely in the original manuscripts. And that place was overlaid with pure gold. In verse 5, we have the holy place paneled with this wood, overlaid with fine gold, uh, carved palm trees, and chain work. Okay, and again, we don't want to read into it too much, but when you think of palm trees, you know, what do you think of? In and out, right? Because they have palm trees <laughs> all around the cup, right? No, I, you know, what do you think of? You think of Palm Sunday. We're about to celebrate Palm Sunday, and that was the day when they took those palms, and it wasn't random, and you read it in the Synoptic Gospels. You read it in John chapter 12, as Jesus pre presenting himself to the people they took the palms and they waved them and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Why? Because palm trees were symbolic of victory. And victory is found in Jesus. Let me ask you a question tonight. Search your own heart. Do you have Jesus? Do you have Jesus? Let me ask you another question. Do you have victory? Do you have victory? I would venture to say that some of us here tonight, we're not living in that victorious Christian living. We're not living in the promised land. It was an 11-day journey. It took the Jews 40 years to get there. Why is it taking so long when you have victory in Jesus? Well, if you're not experiencing victory, it's because you don't have your eyes on Jesus. You have your eyes on someone else, on something else. Get your eyes back on Jesus. 
and you will experience victory. And you have these palm trees that were engraved in this whole thing. It's just beautiful. Uh, they say in ancient times, palm branches symbolize goodness and victory. Uh, they were often depicted on coins and important buildings. And so Solomon had palm branches carved into the walls and doors of the temple. And so we see that throughout the scriptures, even later on in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, you see those palm trees mentioned. And, and as you're looking at this whole thing, look at verse 6. He decorated the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold from Parvain. And I don't know about you, but I kind of like this. The way that it explicitly says they, got, they had these precious stones just for beauty. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Some people think, oh, no, you can't do it just for beauty. Yeah, just for beauty, just so it would look beautiful, just so it would look nice, just so that in one sense, even when the eye looks at it, you know that somebody exerted some type of effort to make it you know, glorious for the Lord. And so they're putting those precious stones there just for beauty. The gold from Parvang, we're not 100% sure where this gold is from, some say it was the gold of Ophir, but we do know this, and we've seen this throughout the scriptures, that it was the best. It was the finest gold available. And I want to encourage you guys to continue to, to give your best. Uh, we're building this temple personally. We're building this temple congregationally. We're building the big temple of the Lord. It's universally. Give your best, uh, but, but let me tell you guys this, okay? And I don't know if you can catch this or not, but yesterday in Pastor Chuck's devotional, he, he, he said something that I, I thought was so cool. He said, um, don't try to do, I'm not quoting him, but he, he said basically, it's not about doing the best, it's about doing your best. Because a lot of times we'll compare ourselves to other people, and you shouldn't be comparing yourselves to other people, because they have different emotional capacities and different, you know, uh, upbringings. And they're a different place in their walk, and you don't know what they went through today, and you name it, on and on and on. And, and, and not only that, but we could, you know, try to put some unrealistic expectations upon ourselves in, in some areas of life, and God's saying, that's not what I want. Just you. Don't compare yourself to him or that or this type of... No, you... Just do the best that you can. And, and you, you, know, you do your best and, and you commit the rest. And I'll tell you what, God will honor that. And so they're giving the best. They're giving precious stones. They're giving the gold, not just any gold. They're doing the, not the gold from Knott's Berry Farm. They're doing the, the real gold, the parvaim, right? The ophir, right? And, 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 and then we read in verse 8. It says, and he made the most holy place. Its length was according to the width of the house, 20 cubits, and its width, 20 cubits. Remember, a cubit is 18 inches. And he overlaid it with 600 talents of fine gold. The weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper area with gold. And so if you were to look at the temple, you would see the outer courtyard, then you go into the holy place, and that's where these lampstands are. There's an altar of incense. There's a bread for the table of showbread. And then there's the most holy place. And into the most holy place, the high priest, was he was the only one that could go there, and he was only allowed to go in once a year, and he would carry the blood for the sacrifice. 
And, you know, it, right here we're going to see tons and tons and tons of gold. You guys have a lot of gold? Just out of curiosity, who here has a lot of gold so we can, you know, break into your house? <laughs> I mean, I don't even, I remember I used to have a gold ring before, you know, and then I don't know what happened to my gold ring. It broke. I don't know. I lost it. Something. Now I got a $25 ring from Calvary Chapel Downey, you know. <laughs> but it, it doesn't matter, right? But imagine all this gold. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. So much gold that even the nails were made of gold. Imagine that. That's what he says right here, that the nails were made of gold. Each nail was 20 ounces. How many of you would like to have one of those nails? That would be cool. A gold nail from the Temple of Solomon. But I'll bet you, I'll bet you, I'll bet you this, that there's another nail you'd rather have. Wouldn't you rather have one of those nails that nailed Jesus to the cross? But it's not made out of gold, man. It, it's not made out of, you know, that special fine gold from Parvame or Orphan or whatever, Orpher. It doesn't matter. Those three nails that held Jesus Christ to the cross, that combined with his love, are the nails that I would much rather see. I mean, to me, I think these gold nails are probably symbolic of those nails. It's so cool when you look at these things. And again, it was glorious. Uh, I think, check this out. I don't know if you knew about it. Eight million pounds of gold in the temple. Seventy-six million pounds of silver. The gold alone would be worth, check this out, $194 billion. Just the gold. The silver would be worth about $22 billion. And so just those two, you know, you're talking over $200 billion. It doesn't include the, the precious stones, the bronze, the iron, the ivory, the wood, the cost of the labor from the guys in Israel to the guys in Tyre. I mean, imagine they say that a conservative estimate of how much it really cost in modern-day terms to build this temple would be $230 billion. That's, that's, just, that's amazing. That's crazy. But it's for the Lord. It's glorious. It's amazing to me. You know, when you look at modern-day buildings, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, it's amazing how much they cost a lot, lot less, you know, I read about one uh, building costing like 2.34 billion. It's one of the most expensive in in the, in the world. One about 3.9 billion, but imagine uh, 230 billion. See, but it's for the Lord, right? Look at verse 10. It says, "In the most holy place, he made two cherubim fashioned by carving, and overlaid them with gold." The wings of the cherubim were 20 cubits in overall length. One wing of the cherub was five cubits, touching the wall of the room, and the other wing was five cubits, touching the wing of the other cherub. One wing of the other cherub was five cubits, touching the wall of the room, and the other wing also was five cubits, touching the wing of the other cherub. I'm sorry. 
The wings of the, these cherubim spanned 20 cubits overall. They stood on their feet and they faced inward. And he made the veil of blue, purple, crimson, and fine linen and wove cherubim into it. And one of the things that you'll see uh, in our text is that there are cherubim everywhere, right? Um, cherubim on the gold walls inside the holy place, a cherubim in the most holy place, cherubim by the uh, Ark of the Covenant, um, cherubim just everywhere. What do you think that means? What's that sending a picture of us? What do you think? It's kind of a picture of heaven. It's kind of a picture of heaven. Let me ask you a question. And I know that, you know, we're just kind of like, uh, I'm reading through these different commentaries and getting these really neat, like, little insights from different people. But again, you can't be, like, dogmatic about it. But in one sense, the temple was supposed to be almost like a experiencing a visual or maybe even like a slice of heaven. A slice of heaven. Is that your life? Does that describe your life? Is your life like a, a taste and visuals and slices of, of heaven? You say, well, Manny, you don't know the trials that I go through. You don't know the struggles I go through. You know, and, and, you're, and you're, you know, you got your eyes on all the things down here. And God is just saying, look at the temple. You're my temple. This is my temple. The church is my temple. It's supposed to be a lot more like, like heaven. And yet, if I could say this, and I hope you guys don't get offended, there's some Christians who live a lot more like hell than they do like heaven. I mean, there's cherubim everywhere. When you read the Bible and you read Isaiah 6 and you read all the different books, uh, Revelation, Ezekiel, and even in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, you see cherubim everywhere, man. And I, and I think what God wants to really uh, just, man, encourage us in tonight is that our life should reflect our citizenship, that our citizenship is in heaven. You know, and you guys know how it is. You get somebody from a foreign land, and maybe you get their accent, and you realize, oh, they're from down under, you know, or they're from Australia, or they're from, you know, Great Britain, or they've got that... I don't know, sometimes even an Irish accent. There's something about them that, that, that just kind of is a distinctive mark from the homeland or, you know, from the citizenship that they have. And I think in one sense we should have the same heart. Lord, I'm a, I'm a citizen of your kingdom. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so we really should have that, that heart. And we really should have that joy. And we really should have that life. If you're not experiencing that life and that life more abundantly, then whatever you do, don't be content. Something's wrong. Something has to change. And I think in one sense, we just got to go back to getting our eyes back on Jesus. He wants to bless your life more than, more than you realize. I mean, we read of the veil here in verse 14 and uh, we know that uh, Jesus, when he died on the cross, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. So now there's no separation between me and God. I can go into his presence even though I blow it. You know, it's interesting to me. Notice the colors that are mentioned here. He made the veil of blue, in verse 14, purple, 
crimson. So those three colors, right? And they say, and I'm not sure where they get this from, but blue is a symbolic of, of the heavens. It's heavenly. And purple is royalty or majesty, right? But the crimson, what that's in reference to is to how the blood of Jesus washes away all our sins. Did you guys know that? You understand that? Does the devil ever come to you and condemn you and beat you up and tell you that you're no good, that you shouldn't go to church, that you can't serve the Lord, that everybody thinks you're off the wall, whatever it might be? You know what? That's from the devil. You know, you're, you're, you, if you place your faith in Jesus, you're as white as snow. Do you understand that yet? Has that sunk in yet? You're as white as snow. And you want to know something? So is their Christian next to you. So are they. When the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves them so much, looks at them, they're white as snow too. Maybe it's time we start seeing people the way that Jesus sees us. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, and how many of you here, your sins are like scarlet, just out of curiosity. He says, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. See, and we see these things just kind of woven into the temple. Look at verse 15. Also, he made in front of the temple two pillars, 35 cubits high, and the capital was on the top of each of them, was five cubits. He made wreaths of chain work, as in the inner sanctuary, and put them on top of the pillars. And he made 100 pomegranates. How many of you like pomegranates? They're good for you. And put them on the wreaths of chain work, and then he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left. He called the name of the one on the right hand, Jackin, and the name of the one on the left, Boaz. And so here we see, it's kind of cool. You know, the, the Lord gives us insight into this uh, place where these two pillars are set up. Jackin, uh, not Jack in the box, it's Jackin, okay? He will establish. He will establish. Maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, I don't even feel established. He will establish. He will establish. He will build his temple. Uh, Boaz, it means in his strength. He will establish. And he will bring you to that place of victorious Christian living. He will bring you to that place of of stability and consistency and you're a godly man a godly young man a godly woman god will do the work just let him stop fighting just let him do the work that only he can do in your life just surrender to him these are the pillars, you know, that hold this whole entrance up. It was just beautiful how huge it is. See, God will do his part, and we just need to do our part, which primarily is to surrender to his love and have 
a heart that says, I will do his will, not mine. You know, it's interesting. Look at verse 16. He made wreaths of chain work as in the inner sanctuary and put them on top of the pillars. And he made 100 pomegranates. And so, you know, maybe you look at that and you're like, eh, that doesn't mean anything. Maybe you're right. But it's interesting. A lot of people believe that there's symbolism in that, in the chain work. You know what that speaks of? Unity. Unity. All these links are linked. There's a unity there. And what happens when there's a unity? Pomegranates. Fruitfulness. And the devil knows it. And so the devil says, well, if I can come in and, and divide them and take away their, their bonds of unity then I can make them a barren people. I encourage you guys, don't let, don't let the enemy come in. Don't let him divide us. Let there be a unity. Let there be a, a fruitfulness. You know, when you look at this right here, you see uh, some interesting things. You know, I'll share with you guys one thing, and I'm, and I'm holding back a lot. I'm not sharing with you all the things that, you know, people speculate on stuff. But in, in one sense, when you look at the temple, there's three sections. You have the outer courtyard, you have the, the holy place, and then you have the most holy place. Okay? Now, I'll, I'll compare this to kind of like the way that I would want my son. This is the way that I would kind of, is my son here? I'm sorry. I do that to him. First one, when, when, you're a, when you grow up and you have a child or you have a son, is he begins to walk. You guys remember the, di the, the day, whatever, when your, your son or your daughter began to walk? It's kind of special. You're all proud, you know? Yeah, he started walking at 10 months. What, when did your child start walking, you know? <laughs> and that's when someone gets saved. When you get saved, you start walking, right? But it doesn't end there. You go into the, the, holy, pl or the, 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 the holy place, and what are they doing in there? They're lighting up these, you know, uh, candelabras and they're offering incense. You know what they're doing there? They're working. They're working. So I love it when my son was walking. I tell you what, I love it more when he's working, to be honest with you. I can't wait for the day that he becomes a doctor, you know, and take care of me, son. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, but working, working in the yard, getting a job, working for the Lord. How about you? You know, you started your walk and that's where it's ended. You're not working for the Lord. You got to go deeper. You got to go into the temple. But, but it doesn't end there. You, you, you walk and then you work. But what's the most, the most beautiful thing? Is you worship. And I tell you what, when I think of my son and I think of my daughter and I think of them walking and then one day I think of them working, it's, it's beautiful, but it's nothing like them worshiping the Lord. And that's the most holy place. And that's where God wants to take us to that most holy place where we not only walk, but then we work. And, and my prayer is that, that we would also worship. Real quick, chapter 4. says, Moreover, he made a bronze altar. Twenty cubits was its length, twenty cubits its width, and ten cubits its height. 
And if you remember, we saw that in our visual. That was the one on, on the right. Just a huge altar where they would offer numbers of sacrifices. And then he made the sea. They called it the sea of cast bronze. Ten cubits uh, from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. And under it was the likeness of oxen encircling it all around, ten to a cubit, all the way around the sea. The oxen were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 3,000 baths. And so, you know, when you go into that tabernacle and you, you know, come from the, the outer, you know, place into this courtyard, you would see that huge uh, brazen altar there. And that's where you would take your sacrifice and they would, depending on what kind of sacrifice it was, sometimes they would burn the whole thing on there. Sometimes they would cut up different parts. They'd give some to the priest and you would eat some and you would have a barbecue. It was called a fellowship offering. Sometimes you brought your pancakes or maybe it was uncooked grain and you burnt that on there. But it was all, when you read Leviticus chapter 3 and 4 and you study these sacrifices, it was all about Jesus. Every single one of them pointed to Jesus. Until so you go and you remember as Christians that Jesus died for you. That's how it all started with his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. But not only that, when you become a Christian, you know, thank God for the salvation he gives to us. But now there's a sanctification going on. And now what we read in John chapter 13 is Jesus washes our feet. He washes our feet. And some of you guys here, man... No offense, but your feet are really dirty, right? Stinky, toe jam, all that kind of stuff, right? Really bad. Now, would Jesus wash your feet? He would. Yeah, he says, let me wash your feet, because they get dirty every day you're out there in this world, and you walk in the dirt paved roads and, you know, the mud pies and all that kind of stuff that you see, and Jesus comes and he washes them. You know, when I was growing up, I'll be honest with you, I didn't take a lot of baths. I didn't. I don't know why my parents didn't make me take a bath. Um, I'm serious. I had a brown. I had a tan. I was dark back then, you know, everywhere, you know. Maybe there's some Christians here like that tonight. You got to come to this this laver, this, this place, this 18,000-gallon, you know, bronze laver where they would wash. You got to let go of the sin. You're a Christian. You belong to Jesus Christ. Why in the world would you hold on to your sin? You let it go. I remember when I was in Mexico, I was, was at my grandma's farm, and uh, she had uh, uh, something It was about the same size as this, and we used to actually go swimming in it. Now, I don't think they were allowed to go swimming in it, but, man, it kind of would sound tempting, huh? 18,000. They say the average swimming pool has about 20,000 gallons of water, so that's how big it was. And so you got to wash. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says that, that we have to confess our sins, right? 
so that he can forgive us of all our sins. And you see that it's built on these oxen, and those oxen are really symbolic. You guys know what an oxen is symbolic of, right? Does anybody know? Hard work. <laughs> hard work. Who did the hard work? Jesus. You're like, no, Manny, I do all this. Sorry. <laughs> he did the hard work. It's all built on Jesus. It's so cool. Real quick, look what he says next. It says in verse 6, He also made ten lavers and put five on the right side, five on the left, to wash in them such things as they offered for the burnt offering. They would wash in them. But they would wash, but the sea was for the priest to wash in. And he made ten lampstands of gold according to their design and set them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left. He also made ten tables and placed them in the temple, five on the right side, five on the left. And he made 100 bowls of gold. Furthermore, he made the court of the priests and the great court and doors for the court. And he overlaid these doors with bronze. He set the sea on the right side toward the southeast. And then Hiram made the pots and the shovels and the bowls. And so Hiram, isn't this beautiful, finished doing the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of God. The two pillars and the bowl-shaped capitals that were on top of the covering, the two bowl-shaped capitals which were on top of the pillars, 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on the pillars. He also made carts and the lavers on the carts, one sea and the 12 oxen under it, also the pots, the shovels, the forks, and all their articles Hiram, his master craftsman, made of burnished bronze for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. In the plain of the Jordan, the king had them cast in clay molds between Sukkoth and Zerida. And Solomon had all these articles made in such great abundance that the weight of the bronze was not determined. Now, before we close, let me just share this one last thing. And again, I, I don't know, man, but this is something to think about. Okay, they told us how much gold was used. They told us how much silver was used. But apparently there was so much bronze that they couldn't, they couldn't measure it. They couldn't number it. And, you know, you scratch your head and you're like, well, wonder why. You want to know the real reason why? Does anybody know what bronze is symbolic of? See, gold is symbolic of deity. Silver is symbolic of redemption. But bronze is symbolic of judgment. You know, when you read the Bible and you see the story in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, when the people got bit by the snake, they were all dying. They're all dying. And the Lord told Moses, what I want you to do is that I want you to, to take a, a stick and put a serpent on it and then lift it up. And so when the people can see it, they'll get healed. They'll get saved. And so we read in Numbers 21, verse 8, And then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on the pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was if 
a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And, and you guys, what that means is that bronze, all that bronze that cannot be measured, that can't be numbered, it's all pointing to the way that Jesus was judged for us on the cross of Calvary. When he died for all of our sins, when he suffered the infinite wrath of Almighty God, every sin ever committed, every sin, all that it deserved, all the punishment, all the judgment, he soaked it all in, and it's immeasurable. We will never know the measure and the depths of the judgment of Jesus Christ on that cross. And I think that when I look at that and I think of what Jesus did for me, it's immeasurable. I realize that it goes hand in hand with the love that he has for us. You don't even begin to know the immeasurable love of the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we look at this and we're like, well, you can't measure the, the bronze. What's, what's up? Then you begin to realize, wow, Lord, you're so good. He says in verse 19, Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of God, the altar of gold and the tables on which was the showbread, the lampstands with their lamps of pure gold to burn in the prescribed manner in front of the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, of purest gold, the trimmers, the bowl, the ladles, and the censers of pure gold. As for the entry of the sanctuary, its inner doors to the most holy place and the doors of the main hall of the temple were gold. And I know we don't have enough time to go into everything, but I will share whew, I will share this one last thing. Wh who's the door? Jesus. John chapter 10, right? He said, I am the door, right? And as you go to the Lord and as you enter in through that door, it's just such a beautiful thing to remember that, you guys. I mean, I, I pray, I would just pray that God would work in us, that God would continue to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, because um, we have to live a life, we have to live a life for his, for his glory, amen? You know, let me close with one last story. I went to the doctors the other day, and uh, not that I want to bring attention to myself, okay? I really want to give glory to God, so I hope, that I can do this by sharing this story. Um, a, a while back, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. And I thought I was going to die next week after I got diagnosed with high blood pressure. Right? And so anyways, um, about maybe really just not that long ago, you know, one day I was out mowing my lawn. And the Lord just, I, I felt like he filled me with his Holy Spirit. It was weird. And all of a sudden, um, I just started 
like exercising. I started eating right. And uh, honestly, it was, I think it was the Lord that was helping me. I told my wife this. I said, it's got to be the Lord because before I couldn't say no to a Cheeto. That's what I told her. Seriously, I go to In-N-Out. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get a grilled cheese. And the next thing you know, I get a, you know, a double-double or something, you know. I, I mean, there's pizza there, and I'm like, got to have it, you know, got to have it. And I, I honestly go home, eat the whole bag of Doritos. I mean, it was just really, to me, to my shame, that was me, right? So, but then all of a sudden, I felt like God gave me strength. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm eating right. Next thing you know, I'm exercising. Now, again, that's just a personal conviction that I have, right? And so, anyways, I went to the doctors the other day, and, uh, and he said, he came in, they took my blood pressure, and he said, what have you been doing? He looked at me puzzled. He said, your, your, your blood pressure reading was 110 over 69. He said, what have you been doing? And he looked like, like marveled. And, and I hadn't even been thinking about anything, like I'm going to witness the doctor or nothing. And my first thought was I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him I've been eating right and exercising. That's why I want to tell him that. But I thank God that before I could rush into my answer, I told the doctor, I said, it's the Lord. I said, I don't know what happened, doctor, but, but God has given me grace and God has given me strength and I told them that you know I told my wife that before I couldn't say no to a Cheeto I told them that you know and the next thing you know I'm just there sharing with the doctor about the Lord it was just so cool now that's just a little testimony on what God can do in so many different facets of our life but I know that he gives us the strength to do things that we cannot do on our own as he would lead us. And as we do that, my prayer is that then you would go out, that we would go out, and that we could actually be a witness for the Lord. Amen? Right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, for the work that you've done, how you can fill us with your Holy Spirit. You can... Get a hold of us anytime, anywhere that we're open. And Lord, I just pray that you would do that in every heart here tonight. God, I just uh, ask that you would bless your people, Lord, that you would minister to them. And, and, and my prayer is that they wouldn't walk away with my convictions. That's the last thing in the world that I want for them. But my prayer is that they would walk away with convictions. That whatever it is, Lord, that you are calling us individually to do, Father, that we would have the courage and the strength and the grace to go out and, and to obey. And, and I think, Lord, just in looking at the temple and all the different elements of it, my prayer, Lord, tonight is that everyone here would get their eyes off themselves, that they would pretty much get their eyes off of others, that they would get their eyes off of their circumstances and their challenges. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 
Remember that Jesus loves you.